Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? <clears throat> Good? Man, the back is always packed. You got, there's like great seats up here, you know. I only spit a little bit. You usually have enough time you can dodge a little bit, but anyway. It's good to see everybody today. I just want to welcome you here. If you're watching online, I just want to say welcome as well. And it's, it's Pentecost Sunday. If, if you didn't catch that, today's Pentecost Sunday. Yeah, we got one, one Holy Spirit-filled lady back there. That's good. <laughs> no, it's good. Pentecost Sunday is good. It's a great time to celebrate. And today we're going to be continuing our series. And what we have to cover today, um, it just, I'll say as a preacher, there are times when you get up to preach and you understand and realize the weightiness of what it is you have to, to cover or to, to get across. You come very quickly to the place of understanding that you, you have um, capabilities and they end at a certain spot. And you just really ask God to take and just really use you and do what only he can do. And so I would just ask for your prayers today. This is a huge subject we're covering today with the Holy Spirit and, and Pentecost Sunday. And so we're going to do our best to really get through it together. And I just want God to speak to you through his word, as I know he always does. But I would covet your prayers today um, as we go in this time. So with that said, today is going to be a little more teaching, I think, than preaching. We'll see, you know, if I get an itch or not on the way through. And maybe I'll jump into that. But it's going to be a lot of teaching. So I hope you have your, your learning hats on today. How many people here have moved at some point in their life? Moved, changed how, homes or moved somewhere? Okay. Uh, how many are moving now in the process? We just want to make sure we say goodbye to you if you're... No, okay. Just wanted to make sure we didn't miss anybody. But when you move, I mean, maybe you've been fortunate enough to have a company come in and do it all for you. But, um, you know, a lot of times when we make that move and that transition, we get to the other place and you've got like all these boxes, right? And as you're looking at, some of you are shaking your head, you know what I'm talking about. You see all these boxes, and you're just like, oh, my goodness. And what do you have to do? You have to start opening the boxes, right? And how many know that it gets typically worse before it gets better, right? You've got to get everything out. You just, you've got stuff all over the place. It's not really a time you're going to invite somebody over. But you want to unpack everything so you kind of can see, and then you can sort of arrange and sort of put it together how it's supposed to be. Anybody kind of relate to what I'm saying today? Good. So that's kind of what we're going to do today with Acts chapter 2 is we're going, to, we're going to jump in here and we're going to do a ton of unpacking today because I want to walk us through and walk us right up to the point of Pentecost Sunday and the coming of the Holy Spirit. But there's a lot that happened, not just right in that moment, but everything in history throughout the Bible was leading up to this point. And this is a very critical thing. And so we want to make sure we grasp it uh, for, for what it is and what it was. So... With that, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to continue our series today called Unfinished, The Church on Purpose. And today's message, if I were to title it, it would be Worth the Wait. Worth the Wait. Uh, and that is obviously talking about the Holy Spirit's arrival. If you recall, we had talked last week about, remember the disciples were, were left on the mountain and, and the angels came alongside of them and said, hey, you know, you got stuff we got to get some business taken care of, get moving. And so it has been now probably nine to ten days uh, that they've been back in Jerusalem, and they're waiting on the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the promised comforter that Jesus spoke of. And so Acts chapter 2, now I, I did pretty much make it through where I wanted to get to. We want to get to verse 11, but the first four verses of Acts chapter 2 are where we're going to spend a lot of our time today 
And if we get through that, that's going to be a win for us today. Okay? So you all ready to spend the next three or four hours going through four verses? It's a verse an hour, right? It comes out pretty good. Now, we won't take quite that long, but we, th- those first four v- verses have a lot to them, and we want to get through that. So uh, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly they, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And again, let's pause just for a moment. When we read things like this, we need to kind of stop for a moment. Now, I don't know about you, have you ever experienced when you're sitting in a service a, a, a mighty rushing wind? Maybe somebody walks by you quickly or something. It's, but think about what that might have been like, okay? Luke is very precise. He was a doctor. We know that, right? A physician. And he's very precise about what he includes. And so try to picture, try to think about what, might, what it might have looked like when we read through this. A mighty rushing wind, okay? The sound of uh, like a mighty rushing wind. Let's continue. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them. Again, do your best to, to imagine this or, or picture this in your mind. Um, divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you so much, Lord, just for uh, the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that you've not left us alone, but God, that as Jesus said, that it was good that he leaves because the comforter would come. And so, Lord, we are so grateful that we can still experience the comforter the Holy Spirit, Lord God, in our lives. God, we pray, Lord, that the Comforter is here present with us now. And God, we pray, Lord, that your word today would go forth, living as it, as it is every time, Lord God, and that it would change our hearts, that it would speak to us, that it would land on good soil, Lord God, and our lives would truly be changed. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So, again, a challenge to you and a challenge you know, for myself as well is when we read things like this, we've really got to kind of slow it down and try to process because you're dealing with supernatural things that are happening. Okay, There are things that are happening and the writer here is trying to do his best to sort of snapshot it for us. He's trying to articulate and give us something to relate to uh, image-wise that we can kind of picture or sort of grasp the idea of what was happening during this time. And so, you know, we have these things like the mighty rushing wind, uh, divided tongues as a fire resting on someone's head. Um, has, has anybody ever seen that before? No? Just wanted to see what kind of company I was in. But it's true, right? I mean, nobody's hair has been on fire. Um, actually, funny story, my hair did catch on fire once. Um, I was, it, it was in church. So it was really fun. We were doing a candlelight service, right? I was a little younger, and I don't know if you all remember back in the days of, you know, like the VO5 hairspray, highly flammable kind of stuff. You know, I had about half a can of hairspray up in my hair. I was young and just wanted to be cool, I guess. And so I had all this hairspray. I don't even know if it actually got to my hair, the flame. It might have been just the, the, the vapor cloud around my head um, from the hairspray. And so we were candlelight service. We were praying. And so, of course, I was taught you bow your head to pray. Well, my candle was here. My head went like this, and the flame was just enough maybe to catch that one strand. And next thing you know, I thought the, the pastor's daughter was trying to lay hands on me or something, but she was like, started smacking me on the head. And I was like, I'm like, this is not the mighty rushing wind or how I thought I would have pictured it. 
And so I'm getting smacked on the head while there's prayer going on. And uh, it was a charismatic church, too, so, you know, stranger things had happened. But, um, but yeah, she smacked me on the head, and fortunately, I lived to tell the story. I just, my bangs were a lot shorter for quite a while. But um, so anyway, if you need any help, just picture me with my hair on fire as we go through this, this, this message today or this, this chapter. But most of us here, all of us here probably have not seen anything like this. And so we really need to kind of slow down and just try to picture what that might have been. And um, something I would recommend just before we go further, has anybody ever heard of the Bible Project? Anybody checked out their videos and stuff? These are just really, really good resources to look at. They explain stuff so well. It's just like every time I watch one, I'm like, oh, wow, that makes complete sense now, you know. And so if you've not seen that or checked those out, I would encourage you. Some of what I'm going to share today is even come from some of their resources, and it's just a great place to go because I'm just not going to be able to hit every single thing today. So, so let's jump in here. So in verse 1, here we have, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, one of the things we need to understand is that the day of Pentecost itself had already been in existence, okay? Uh, when I was younger in the faith, I always thought that Pentecost, well, that was when the Holy Spirit came, which is true, but they had been celebrating Pentecost long before that. There was always this time of year, there was this celebration. Um, now, this particular one obviously was going to be very different, right, as we know, as the Holy Spirit was going to show up on the scene. But, but there's this question of what is Pentecost? We hear Pentecost a lot. I think we even say it often, but I don't know that everyone really grasps or knows exactly what Pentecost is. Pentecost comes from the word Pentecosti, okay, which means 50th, 50th. Now, anybody, has anybody celebrated 50 years of marriage? All right. Well, let's give him a hand. Yeah. Now, did you guys wake up that morning and say, you know, happy Pentecosti anniversary or anything? You should have. The next one, the next 50, right? Okay. Yeah, Dave, Dave's never going to, he's always going to be with us. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, Pentecost, it's 50th. And so holding with its name, this celebration, okay, which uh, is taking place now or was taking place at that time, uh, it's, it's on the 50th day following the Passover feast, okay? So the day after Sabbath, there's 50 days, and then they would be celebrating Pentecost. And so 50, 50th day. And another way to measure days is what? We say weeks, right? Well, guess how many weeks, because actually it's 49 technically, because it's the day after Sabbath that it starts. Well, guess how many weeks are in, in 49? Seven. The number of completions. And how many days are in a week? Seven, right? So seven weeks from the offering um, after Passover, which is seven sevens. It's almost like God had this kind of like figured out, right? Like he's got a plan and how he kind of ties it all together. So again, here's this number of completion. So they're at the day of Pentecost. And it's, it's marked uh, of the beginning of the feast, what's called the Feast of Weeks, right? So now you understand there's seven weeks, and that's why they would call it the Feast of Weeks, okay? Because it, it built up to that point. And so there are a total of seven feasts, in case you were wondering. There's that number again, right? Seven? And, but there are three major yearly pilgrimages that the Jewish uh, people were expected to make, all right, that they basically, where they had to go to Jerusalem to present themselves before the Lord. And so those three majors are Passover, all right, the Feast of Weeks, 
and then the feast of, or the, the celebration of tabernacles, right? So there's, those were the three main ones. And so, you know, originally, um, this festival as a whole that's happening, not just the day itself, was referred to as Pentecost, okay, because it began on the, the 50th day. And so you see kind of hopefully maybe how this is, this is all kind of tying together, and it's important for us to understand exactly the buildup and what's going on. And so this is why we see so many people, and think about this now, people from all over the known world. If you were a Jew, you had to make this pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. And so during this time, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit shows up, everyone, all Jews are present in Jerusalem because it's time to make their their offering and to to present themselves to the Lord. So very strategic as well, because what's going to happen is as the Holy Spirit comes, and and we're going to find out as we go later on, and this message is preached by Peter, he's preaching to Jews from literally all over the known world. And how cool is that? Because we talk about the spread of the gospel. Well, if you, wanna, <laughs> if you want the best audience possible, you bring people from all over, preach to them, they find out the good news, and then they carry that all over the world. So, so here in, in verse 1, we see this happening. The day of Pentecost had arrived, and, and they were all together in one place. And this is why they were all together in one place. In verse 2, it goes on and says, And suddenly there came from heaven... A sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Again, Luke, and, and anytime you read scripture, those words are there for a reason, right? There are specific words that are used, there are specific ideas that are trying to be brought across through the pages, and we need to really dial in and, and understand um, what is trying to be conveyed here. And so, you know, we see this, this, this second uh, word here in this verse, and suddenly, Suddenly. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> Obviously, it means unexpected, right? They were probably there. They were together. They knew that there was a promise of the Holy Spirit, but they didn't wake up that morning and say, well, today's the day. Did Jesus ever say, you know, on the 10th day or anything like He just said to do what? To wait, right? How many of you are married? How many of you have been married? How many of you want to be married? Okay. How many of you have ever waited? I dare, don't raise your hands, though. That might not be good. <laughs> How many of you have waited for your spouse in the past? How many of you have done so and drawn closer to the Lord during that time? <laughs> I'm not looking over here. I, <laughs> I get to do that often. I grow in grace and mercy and kindness. and just gives me more time to pray for all of you on Sunday mornings. But... Um, so, again, so they're together, and it's suddenly, this, this unexpected, unplanned moment takes place. As they are waiting on the Lord, they weren't saying, like, oh, well, time's almost up. No, they're, just, they're waiting, and here, suddenly, the Holy Spirit shows up on the scene. And, and notice it goes on and says, and suddenly there came from where? Heaven, right? Now, we don't want, you know, and suddenly there came from hell. You notice how that changes the whole a little bit, right? So we're really defining here, where is this coming from? Where is this, the source of this is from where? It's coming from heaven, which is important, would we all agree, right? It's not coming from the next door, the building next door, the you know, downstairs or whatever. It's coming from heaven, this sound from heaven. And it says that it's like a mighty rushing wind. So again, was it a rushing wind? 
probably not exactly, but how do you describe things that are supernatural, that are not of this world? You really can't, right? If you can like, articulate and perfectly describe all the things that God does and is capable of, you might not be serving God <laughs> or worshiping the, the real God. Because, you know, a lot of us here, I think, we like things bolted down, don't we? We like the details. We want to know exactly how it works. You know, it's like, this is going to happen at this time, and this is how it's going to be. Because that's just, we, we have a certain amount of what we think is control in our world, don't we? But God does things that sometimes are just not describable in our ability, in our language. And, and that's good, right? Because he's God. And so sometimes we just try to be... Well, it's kind of like this. And it gets you in the ballpark. It gives you an idea. And so that's what's being written here. Is it's a sound like a mighty rushing wind. If you recall back when Jesus came out of the water after he was baptized, it says the Holy Spirit descended what? Like or as a dove, right? So it may not have been exact. You know, they always show like the bird coming down. It probably wasn't a bird because they would have said a dove descended. <laughs> it said like a dove or as a dove. And so we can, it just helps us to, again to kind of get a little bit of a picture of what God was doing. Let's continue in verse 3. It goes on and says, And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, again, it says as a fire, meaning it's not probably fire exactly, but something that is trying to capture this moment and what's happening. I mean, again, how do we describe the supernatural? We just do our best to, to encapsulate but one thing now, as I, I want to deep dive on this a bit, and, and this, this, this image of fire, and throughout the Bible, throughout the Scripture, throughout especially the Old Testament, we see a fire and wind or smoke, we see throughout, and it always typically will tie into God's presence, right? It's a symbol of that. Whenever God would, his presence would be there, we often would see fire or smoke or a cloud, something accompanying his presence, to make it visible or to make it known. And so let's look for a moment how God's people, we're just going to kind of, we're going to work through the Old Testament, not the entire Old Testament, I promise, in, in a couple hours. But we're going to work through as best we can to sort of walk us up into this moment of, of Pentecost and, and the Holy Spirit's arrival. And so let's begin now with the tabernacle, all right? If you recall in Exodus uh, as, as all the, the children of Israel left Egypt, they're in the wilderness. And the whole idea that God had, the whole idea, what God wanted to do was that the people would come to him and they would all come to him to the mountain at Mount Sinai where his presence was because he wanted relationship with his people. All right? They wanted, he wanted relationship with his people. And, and the interesting thing about my, Mount Sinai is actually it's the same exact place when God shows up to Moses and he speaks to him through what? A burning bush, right? Almost as fire. And it's the same place, again, depending on the, the people that were in the region at that time. It used to be called Mount Horeb. And, but that is the same place that the burning bush took place. And an interesting fact I found out just as in studying, while I was studying for this, I didn't know before. The actual bush that was on fire or looked as if it was on fire... Was, was called what's called the Sine bush. Sine, and it can be pulled into Sinai. And so even the bush, and it's the only bush that's called that, it's the only place it shows up. 
And so here we have, again, just all these things tying together. And here comes, you know, the, the children of Israel to the mountain. Here's supposed to come this moment where God reunites in relationship with his people. Now, if you've studied the Old Testament at all or read it ever, how many know that doesn't, that's not the case? Sadly, when the people get there and this moment's been building and they're supposed to go out to meet God, by the way, the mountain is smoke and, and, and fire, but it's not being consumed, but God's presence is very, there, is very much there. Um, it's very intimidating. And the people realize very quickly that if they are not prepared properly, if they are not holy when they enter and they draw near to this mountain, things are not going to go well for them. And so rather than purifying themselves and doing what was needed to be done, they say, hey, Moses, come here. Come here. Hey, why don't you skedaddle on over there? And, you know, you, you go draw close to that. We'll watch from a distance, and you just kind of let us know how it goes if you make it back. <laughs> right? And it's, it's really sad because, again, God's whole intention was never to have specific priests that would come to him or come to, to, into his presence. His intention was that every single person, every single child of his would enter into his presence because that was where the relationship was. He wanted relationship with his people, individually, not through a mediator. But because of their unwillingness to address sin in their lives, they chose the easy route, which was to have the Here's the representative for us, Moses. And they missed out on the relationship. And so understanding and, and seeing this in our, in our minds and, and understanding what was happening. But again, coming back to this idea that it was always intended that God wanted an individual personal relationship with the people. And so after this, this scene where these people pull back versus drawing near... God realized and God knew that he would have to instead come to them. There would have to be a way that he would have to come to them. And so he instructs Moses to build this tabernacle. Anybody read line by line, verse by verse, all of the instructions for the tabernacle in the Old Testament? It's like, yeah, you're not, you're not baking a cake here. You're building something. It's like page after page of instruction and how much and what materials but there was very meticulous uh, thought that went into and, and, uh, what was how this tabernacle was built. But Moses builds this tabernacle, and soon the Lord's glory rests there. And what does it look like? It says fire comes down. How did the Lord lead and guide the Israelites through the wilderness? By a pillar of fire by day, and a, or a cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night, right? So we see again this, this imagery of, of God's presence, and, and we see this cloud or fire being present, and it's a common theme throughout. Now, so we move from the tabernacle, now let's move forward a little bit down the road where they build a more solid structure called the temple. And we see them build this temple. We see smoke again or wind come down when the priests are praying. We still see this visible thing happening anytime God's presence would show up. And we see fire when King Solomon comes up and he prays and fire comes down. And so the presence of the Lord, though, was only found in the temple. And sadly, only some, the priests, were able to experience it. And keep this thought in your mind. Only, 
it was never God's intention, but this is how it was working at that time. But guess what? As we often do, it didn't take long, and soon Israel defiled the temple. Soon Israel began to do things in the temple and began to basically destroy the temple from the inside out. And the temple was eventually physically destroyed, wasn't it? It was physically destroyed. Now, there were prophets like Ezekiel. He got a glimpse of a future temple that was coming. And the prophet Joel talks about when the Spirit of the Lord will be poured out on all flesh. So there is this imagery, there is this thought that something was on the horizon. Now, many thought, because that was the only place where the presence of the Lord would show up, right? Many thought, like, well, there's going to be a rebuilding of the temple, this physical building, this physical structure, but that wasn't the case. Instead, now we have come on the scene someone much greater than a physical structure or building. And this, of course, is Jesus, right? Jesus comes on the scene, and he, it says in John 1.14 that he came and dwelt with his people. Now, are you catching this? So the Jesus, God himself, in, you know, incarnate in the flesh, so now the presence of God is returning to his people. The, he's, it's present. When you're with Jesus, you are present with God. And so Jesus shows up on the scene, and this word that when it says that he dwelt with his people, it literally means to live in a tent, which goes all the way back to that tabernacle scene with Moses. And I notice, if you recall, one of my favorite scenes in the Bible is when Jesus cleans out the temple. Remember that? Very different kind of picture of Jesus that you see a lot of the rest of the time. When he goes in with the whip and he's kicking tables over. How many of you relate to that Jesus pretty well? Yeah? Yeah? Time to clean house. But what was he so upset about? They had defiled the temple, right? They had made it unclean. And what was the significance of the temple? It housed the presence of the Lord, didn't it? And so he, he throws this scene, and look what he says. Right after that, in John chapter 2, verse 9, he says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And this is why it was mind-blowing for everybody in, watching or hearing, because they're like, how is he going to rebuild this physical structure in three days? But we all know, because we were good students in Sunday school. He wasn't talking about a physical structure, was he? What was he talking about? Himself, his body, right? His flesh, his body. And so Jesus makes this amazing jump in this statement from a temple being a physical building to now it's a person, right? It's in the flesh. Now, are you guys with me so far? You're... I know you're really quiet, so I know you're deep in thought, and you're just making all these mental notes to just feast on later. But stay with me. So now we had the tabernacle, the temple, to Jesus, right? His body, his flesh. Now guess what? Now there's a new temple. Guess, guess what that temple is? It's you. That's me. That's you and me. You see, through Jesus' work on the cross and the promise of the Holy Spirit, we have now become the temple of the Holy Spirit. You understand that? Think about that for a minute. We are the temple. We are the place that houses the presence of God. 
you know, the church as a whole, what do we call? We're called the body of Christ. Are you getting it? We are the body of Christ. We are the temple. We are individual, individual now temples of the Holy Spirit. We have been cleansed through the work of the cross, so now the Holy Spirit can dwell within us. We've been made clean. So you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, jump back into our scripture here, and notice that these tongues of fire, where did they rest? They rested, it says, on each of them, right? On each one. And this is huge, 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 huge significance. Very important, all right? Check this out. Notice that there now is no longer a fire of, of God's presence resting in one particular place, but now it is resting over top of each and every person. God's presence now is not something you go somewhere to experience. God's presence now has been split and now is in and with each person. How awesome is that? Do you remember when <clears throat> Jesus meets the woman at the well and there's this conversation and he said, well, there's a time coming where you're not going to worship you know, God in this place or that place, but you will, be, you will worship him here in spirit and in truth. You will worship him. What does that mean? That's, that's here in our spirit with us. You see, God's power and presence now resides in each God-created and God-cleansed temple. I wrote a little blog one time, and it said, uh, what's in your temple? <laughs> kind of the what's in your wallet little thing, but what's in your temple? And while we can't cleanse ourselves, as we know, but so many things in this world, so many sins of this world, so many of these pet things that we like to keep around that defile the temple, that make the temple that not clean. How does that impact our relationship with the Holy Spirit? And that same picture, remember that picture of Jesus? Remember how, again, this very different side of Jesus as he's flipping those tables, the, you know, the holy you know, uh, righteousness, the anger, if you will, not a sin, but he was upset because he should have been. That's the same way he feels about sin in us. When we're, we're given a gift of the cross and all we have to say is, God, forgive me, cleanse me, make me new doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes. There's going to be times where sin creeps in on us. But we're able to be made clean through the work of the cross. Why? So the Spirit of God can dwell in us. And so kind of just keep, keep that in your mind as we, we move on here. In verse 4, it goes on, and it says, And they were all, what, filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this word tongue, tongues has been used in, across the church. A lot of people have you know, seen it. They, they're like, some people get freaked out by it. Um, this word tongue, though, is, is translated as language. Okay? It's the same, the word both in Greek and Hebrew um, is translated both, is, the same word is translated both ways, whether for language or for tongue. Even in verse 8, when we read further on, 
when it says that the people, it says we each hear our own language, that's the same word being translated as tongues above that. It's not like a different thing. It's simply language. Okay? So we understand that. What if, I mean, some people from, uh, if you're from another country and you speak your country's language, a lot of people say you speak a native tongue, right? So it's the same, same thing. It's just language. That's, that's what it's saying. But in the Bible, we can go through and we can see that there are four types of tongues or languages, if you will, in the Bible. There's an actual foreign earthly language where we see here that the Spirit is giving utterance through the disciples. And they're speaking in, in languages here on earth, right? They're speaking in languages that people can understand from other places. Um, that's one. Number two, there's, there's um, a, a tongue or a prayer language. In Romans 8, 26, it says this. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In 1 Corinthians 14, 2, it says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. And so there's a prayer language that the Holy Spirit can bring about in people. And again, depending on what kind of vein of Christianity you've grown up in or been around, you, know, you may have seen this at times, maybe you haven't, but it is in the Bible, it is scriptural. Um, going on after that one, there's another uh, uh, type of tongue, if you will, in the Bible. And it's, it's a form of praise in 1 Corinthians 14. Again, 1 Corinthians 14, if you, if you want to read further, read chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Um, and it, it covers a lot of these things. But 1 Corinthians 14, there's a form of praise in, in verses 14 and 15. It says, For I pray in a tongue, <clears throat> if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Okay, so what it's saying is you're praying in something that your mind is not processing. And it goes on and says, What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. And again, so there's things that we can do. There's even songs that we can sing that are in uh, a spirit, on a spiritual level, if you will, not just uh, a brain level, a mental level. So that's, that's another form of tongue. And then the fourth one is there's tongues with interpretation. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 28. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Did any of you come with a hymn or lesson today to share? No? Just wanted to check. Okay. Uh, and so, and then he goes on, he says, Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. Oh, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Again, so there's this, also this place where there's tongues where there might be something said by the Spirit through a person, and then there should be someone else that interprets. And again, depending on what vein of Christianity you, you've been raised in or been a part of, you may have seen this, you may have not. So, but all these are different types of tongues that we see throughout the Bible. And here's, here's uh, just something to take note of as well. In John chapter 20, verses 21 through 22, Jesus appears to his disciples after he has been resurrected. All right? If you remember, they were all kind of holding up and they were hiding out. And Jesus kind of just shows up in the room. And he says to them, he says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he has set, had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, there again, there's question here, and we may not be able to drill it down exactly, because 
we know that there's a separate experience, something else coming. The Holy Spirit had not arrived yet. It's not Pentecost. But he says to receive the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Holy Spirit was present on earth. He was, Jesus obviously walked. It says he was led by the Holy Spirit often, you know, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we know that the Holy Spirit was present. But it almost seems like there was a way that he had not yet arrived to the people of the earth. And the difference here, you know, I think there's a difference between receiving and being filled to me. How many of you, if I took this water bottle and, and, and took the top off and I just started, you know, splattering water all over the place? Some of you maybe have come from a place where you'd be used to that. You've experienced that before, right? But how many, how many would say, like, if I got you wet with a few drops of water, you'd say, you got me wet, right? You spilled water all over me. Now, how many know that there's a difference between that and if you were to go out and jump into a swimming pool and you jumped out and you would still say what? I'm all wet, right? <laughs> does, anybody, does anybody see the difference between the two? Slightly different, right? One, you'd be like completely dripping from head to toe, you know, soaking wet. Another one, you've got a few drops or maybe if you were on your way in, it was still sprinkling, you know, and you get, you get a little wet. That's going to dry in a couple minutes, isn't it? Big difference though, right? And I truly believe, you know, just my, my interpretation, you can, you know, do what you want with this. But it seems to me that, that there is a difference in the Holy Spirit, meaning people can have the Holy Spirit, but it's very different to have the Holy Spirit and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be sprinkled versus stripping, soaking wet. <laughs> and again, understanding this really, I think, brings some clarity to, to maybe what the, the disciples were experiencing on the day of Pentecost with the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Now, really quick side note, just because it does come up in conversations, um, there are two groups regarding the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which tongues is one of them. One group is, is called continu continuationists, which that's at this church we believe that the gifts are for today. We're not, we don't think that they stopped for some reason. Um, that's all the gifts. We believe what the Bible says. But there's also a group called cessationists, which believe that the gifts have stopped. Um, and that's, again, that's a study maybe you can do sometime. But I'll say this, though, that don't, don't let these things be divisive. And unfortunately, in the church, they have. We need to keep to the things that are essential to salvation, and that's what we agree upon. And we can have discussions. We can even have heated debates. But we should not break fellowship with one another over on which side of the fence you land out on this, okay? So that's just an encouragement. That's just something I wanted you to hear and to know and to understand a little bit um, as we work through this. In some Christian circles, and the, the, the place that I grew up in, it was believed that tongues also were the initial sign or initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, going back to that previous statement, it doesn't matter which side of the fence you land on. Just, again, work with each other in love, have those discussions, and, and we can agree to disagree on some things here. Now, let's keep reading. Let's, let's, let's get through. I'm going to get through the verse 11. We're on a pretty good pace here. So, verse 5, if you jump back in with me, it says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, let's pause there. So what does that mean? It means everybody, not just the people in the room. Everybody heard a sound, what was happening. So it must have been a pretty loud thing, and it got some people's attention, right? This, and, and at this sound, the multitude came together. 
So it was definitely in a certain place. These people are gathering around where this sound's coming from, trying to figure out what's going on. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And, and then, uh, again, Luke goes on, he lists out 15 regions where these people were from. So basically, a lot, much of the known world was present in this one place at this time. And then picking back up uh, at the end of verse 11, it says, We hear them telling in our own tongues, what? The mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one, one another, what does this mean? So we see here that the, the Holy Spirit shows up and these, these, these people, are they're speaking in these languages. And what are they speaking? It's all about the mighty works of God. It's all giving God glory and credit. Because all Jews, there was Jews or converts to Judaism were all gathered there. And so there were many languages and many people. But this was really the renewal, if you will, of, of Israel. This was the renewal that had been promised, but it was being done in, on a spiritual level, really, versus what they had thought for so long, how, how God was going to rebuild the temple and reestablish Israel in that way. So as we prepare to, to wrap all this up, and so we've now, as I started at the beginning of this message, we've now unpacked all of our boxes. I mean, we've got a little bit maybe of a mess. I don't know. Hopefully you've been able to stay with us, stay with me, and put some of it away neatly. But we still have a little bit of a mess, and, and I want to kind of work through just a, a few more things with you. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21, it says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. It almost seems like it was written for today, doesn't it? There is so much stuff going on, but our, the word of God is still alive and it's still applicable for today. It goes on in verse 17, it says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord, or what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but what? Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now this phrase here, to be filled with the Spirit, it's actually better stated as being filled means it's not a one-and-done kind of thing. It's, it's a process that continues. We are to constantly be being filled with the Spirit of God. I really believe that a lot of the struggles and a lot of the, the, the things that churches are facing, whether it's in America or around the world, is that there are too many Christians that are not filled with the Spirit of God. They are not walking in the fullness that they were intended to walk in. Meaning, it doesn't mean you're not going to have problems or struggles, but so many people I talk to, are, they just, they're like, you know, I feel dry. I feel like it's, it's just, what's going on, you know? And it really goes back to this whole imagery of the temple, right? And being cleansed. 
How can we be full of the Spirit of God if we're living in a temple that is filthy and dirty? And I'm not talking about, you know, you can come to Christ and you are cleansed and made new. But if we continue to hold on to those sins, if we continue to hold on to the things of this world and do not come to God with the same thing and this, this gift that's been given of his son and say, Lord, forgive me. Why? Because we like that. We have that little pet sin, right? We have that pet thing that's just comfortable or that it's not hurting anybody. But is that a true statement? It's probably hurting you, first of all. Secondly, if God is not able to fill you with his spirit because you refuse to address this sin that's in your life, think about the people that are missing out, who know you, who are in your world, that God wants to bring across your path. Because they're getting a version of you that's, that's much drier and far from the Lord than one that has, has continued to say, Lord, take this from me. Fill me again with your spirit. Fill me again. Refresh me. Make me new. Filling to the point, you know, when you think of filling and you see a cup and you fill, 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 and you go to the point where it just starts to overflow. That's how it is when we walk with God. You see, when we're walking stride and stride with God and, and we're walking in a place where we've been cleansed and we're bringing our, our sin and we're bringing our mistakes to God and he's sitting there just filling and filling and it's just overflowing, what happens when that overflow happens? Other people get, get wet, right? It touches them. It touches their lives. But too many of us are, are, are walking around with a, a cup like this and it's got this much water in it and we're trying to like do something with it. So my, my plea to you today is, as your pastor and whether you're watching online or here in this place, my plea to you today is that we are called, church, to be holy. We are called to be cleansed and to be clean before the Lord. But we cannot do it on our own. God has given us the means through Jesus Christ to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Why is that? So that we can be full. Don't, isn't that something that you would just desire? That's my desire. And I wish I could say I get up here every morning and I'm just full overflowing because it's just amazing. It's not. I'm a human just like you are. <laughs> if you didn't know that. <laughs> That's my heart too. Because there's been seasons in my life and there's moments in my life where, yeah, I'm getting it and I'm moving and I'm walking again, like I'm supposed to, and, and giving it those things to God. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. They still, they're still there, and I still have to surrender that. But when I do, the, the Holy Spirit can then come in and fill me anew. And it's refreshing. It's amazing. It's communion with God. And you can't help when you're in that place. You can't help but to share the good news with somebody else. And a lot of times, you won't even have to. Why? Because they're going to look at you and like, I want whatever you're on right now. <laughs> That's the truth. But we got Christians walking around all over the place today. Hey, you need to get God and get saved. Like, I don't want what you got. That's <laughs> I can go eat uh, something bitter and get like that. People should see when you are touched by God, 
You know, remember when Moses came off the mountain and his face shone, you know, it was glowing like in brightness? That's, that's what happens when you have the Holy Spirit in its fullness in your life. People will look at you and they're like, you're different. What's going on? And it just opens up the chance. Yeah, they got it back there. She's got it. It's, it's the chance, right? They, they see it. And, you, and then what's, what's, what's different about you? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you what's different. It's that easy. Not every, not every instance where we share the gospel, you have to come up and say, hey, you know, can I share the gospel with you? Can I share the good news that Jesus? Yeah, that happens. Don't get me wrong. And if you do that, that's great. But what I'm saying, people should see from the very moment you walk into the room, like something's different about this one. You see, this is the key to victory, church, both for us personally in our walk with God, but also as a church as a whole. Can you imagine a church full of people that are full of the Holy Spirit? And I'm not saying, you know, people I hear all the time come in and they, they, they say, just, just there's a peace in this place. There's the people, they're kind. But I'll tell you, I don't, I want people to come to this church and hear me out. I'm not, yes, I want us to be kind, so don't be mean to people. <laughs> be kind and everything else, but I want people to come in. I want to say, when they walk to the door, like, I just sense the presence of God in this place. As I got out in the parking lot and, and that person out there that was greeting, when they said, as soon as they said good morning, I sensed God's presence. Because if we're coming to church for anything but to experience the presence of God and to be with God, then probably need to reprioritize some things. Amen? That's what it's about. That's who we're about. And so, just, again, the few barriers that some people have with this, you know, there may be doubt, there may be fear, inadequacy. There's a lot of stuff out there, you know, emotionalism has been like a thing. You know, people say this, this stuff going on in church is just emotional. And that is, there's truth to that. However, we are emotional. We have emotions, so that kind of plays in. And I want to share a quick story when I was a kid same church actually as the fire took place uh but but i was young um i think i was maybe early teens and you know the pastor they talked about you know coming forward to receive the holy spirit and in that church it was you know you were supposed to speak in tongues and all this other stuff well i'd been raised there so it was no big deal so i i'm like as far as you know that kind of stuff so i went forward to receive the holy spirit and i had a genuine encounter with the holy spirit with god there at the altar but there was a gentleman, he was one of the elders, and he came up and what he decided to do, he, he, he stood me up and he said, come over here. And so he got a microphone and in front of the whole church, the church I'd grown up in, knowing everybody, I was you know, pretty young. He says, and I don't know what he's gonna do, I don't know what he's gonna say. And so he's like, he's like listen, uh, we really believe Dell has received you know, the Holy Spirit, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray, and as soon as I lay my hand on you, I want you to speak in tongues front of the whole church right and I inside am dying over and over I'm like this this is it's like a bad dream right and so he's like he he prays and with all sincerity you know he puts his hand on me not a word came out of my mouth I'm like I'm not I'm not gonna no and so it went on the awkward silence for a few minutes and he's still praying and keeps shoving the mic in my like right up in my face like this and 
I just couldn't wait to get off. I was, I was embarrassed. I was, it was horrible. And, and so I went to the side and, and after the service, like, I remember he came up and, and before he got to me, I mean, I was, I was sobbing. I was, I was, I was embarrassed. I'm like, I never want anything to do with the Holy Spirit, anything, you know, and he had the best intentions. He was a nice guy. And can I just tell you today that some of the greatest hurt is church hurt? People with the best intentions can hurt us so deeply. And it took me years to kind of get past that. And, and it was at a, another place, a very, a very different season in my life. I think I was in college, yeah, I was in college at the time. And by God's grace, there was a moment and, and someone was able to kind of walk through that with me, those emotions, those feelings. And I was, God set me free from being inhibited to trust the Holy Spirit again. And so to this day now, you know, I, I don't struggle or deal with any of that stuff anymore or what had come from that. But I share that with you because it can be scary. Or maybe you've had a bad experience. And I just want to encourage you today that God loves you and God is a good father and he gives good gifts. And he's promised us, he's promised us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we must trust God fully with what he wants to do. Just like these early Christians, they didn't know what was gonna happen. It just happened, right? And so what I wanna do today is, is before we just close out with a, a song of worship, is, is I wanna pray for us. I wanna pray for this church. I wanna pray for you. And I wanna pray just that God would truly fill his church, to fill his people with his spirit, with the Holy Spirit that we would be to the point of overflowing, that our lives, can you imagine our lives and how they would change if we walked in that place? So if you would just bow your heads for a moment. If you're here in this place or you're, you're online watching, and I encourage you to bow your head if you're watching online as well. First, I want to just give an invitation that if you don't know Jesus today, that's, that's the starting point. That's, that's where cleansing takes place. That's where we're able to be made pure and to be found righteous before a holy God. And if you don't know Jesus today as Lord and Savior, I invite you to confess your sin, acknowledge him as Lord, that he died on the cross, rose from the grave on the third day, and ascended to heaven. And if you make him Lord and Savior of your life, he, he will cleanse you from the inside out the work of the cross will for most of us though here today I think a lot of us are Christians and if you're here today and you desire truly to be filled with the Holy Spirit not again so you can sit in a room by yourself and just enjoy it but because you want to be equipped and filled so that you can go and share the good news if that's you today I just want you just to very quickly just to slip up your hand if you sincerely mean it and you want that feeling. See your hands going up. See your hands. Let me pray for you as, as we just ask the Lord to, to fill us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Holy Spirit. God, we confess that so often we can live our lives on empty. 
we can live our lives dry. Again, we're, we're Christians and we have the Holy Spirit, but God, we are not soaking, dripping wet with the presence of the Lord, of, of you and, and your Holy Spirit. We are not full to the place of overflowing. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters today, myself. God, would you fill us today? Would you fill us with your spirit? God, as we celebrate this amazing day, the day of Pentecost, when your promised Holy Spirit came to earth to, to dwell with us and in us, as we have now become the temple of the Holy Spirit. God, forgive us of the sin that we tend to hold on to, that we tend to reason away as, as not being anything big. And God, would you cleanse us today? Purify our hearts, Lord God, to be able to receive from you the gift that a good father has prepared and sent. Fill us today, Lord, with your spirit. Fill us today with your spirit. Fill us to the point of overflowing that as we discussed earlier, Lord, when we, when we go out into the world, when we go out and we come across people, that they ask us, what is different about you? What has changed? That we would have opportunity to share the good news of the gospel in that moment. And that we would be empowered by your spirit to do so. God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that this church would be a church that is truly full of your spirit, the spirit of God, and nothing else. Thank you, Lord, that you've heard our prayer. In Jesus' name. Stand.